Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's program has been brought to you by GreatBrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit GreatBrewers.com. In some of my songs, I have casually mentioned the fact that I like to drink beer. This little song is more to the point. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears. I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. I like beer. It helps me unwind and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's July 17th, 2012. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43. Thanks to our sponsor, GreatBrewers.com, and we're supported by the people at the Good Beer Seal, GoodBeerSeal.com. This, this show is going to talk a little bit about London and uh, China. Uh, first, first off, we'll talk about London. Uh, going back to the 90s, uh, my good friend Ray Dieter at DBA in the East Village, uh, the Regular cast selection was often Adnams, which is a kind of cultish, uh, very small brewery in, in the UK. And I remember going there specifically to drink that beer. And the other night I had an Adnams broadside and bottle. And uh, we haven't seen Adnams in cast for a while, but it's still a, it's still an amazing small brewery. And it seems like it's always good and, and uh, it, it has never outgrown itself. It's, it's Anyways, it's one of those great beers, Adams from UK. And uh, today on the show, I'm joined with John Hall, who, a, a great beer writer who has come out, is coming out with a London beer book. You tell us what you're doing. Patrick Donaher from uh, Get Real and uh, Alewives and Queen in New York and Jeff Cialetti from Beverage World. We're going to talk about London. Then we're going to also talk uh, with a brewer from uh, Shanghai, China. So it's like London, Olympics, beer. Here it's we a, are. It's a global beer show today, Jimmy. This is exciting. Well, it's really because of you. So what the heck's going on? So, You're writing guides to London beer for the Olympics? I, I, well, that was the original plan. NBC Publishing is going to be coming out with a guide to an American's guide to drinking in London because it is obviously very different drinking over there than it is over here. There's social norms that are just completely different. The beer styles, while the same, can also be very different as well. Uh, and there's just, as I say, cultural differences that going so the original plan was to do something for the Olympics that got held up because the Olympics start next week, and obviously I don't have a book out right now. It'll be out before the end of the year, is what they tell me. But it's always a good time to drink in London Olympics. So you or not. spent some time over there. So is it I true? Did. And and Jeff, you know a lot about this too. You've been to uh, England a few times. Do they drink their pints slower in England than we do? I don't think so. I, I think that they drink it about the same rate. I think that they can just drink more of it because it's more of a sessionable beer culture over there. You're finding beers that are in the 3 to 4% range pretty much everywhere that you go, so you can have more of them. So uh, somebody might down one pretty quick, and you think that they're on their, still on their first when they're actually on their second. It's a, it's a trick of the eye is what it is. So what is it, so is it, what is it about session beers? Uh, I've seen recently from uh, – Germany, I've had Mars brewing like a liked beer that's two point eight percent. Yeah, I've seen a beer from Spain that's in the two point something percent. Um, you know, how, how low do beers go? That, I, I think we, we don't think that way in, in this country. We don't think that way. But from what I was told when I was doing research for this book, is that it, it's actually a tax thing. The higher uh, alcohol in a beer the more the beer is taxed. So there was an incentive on the brewer's part to make a lower alcohol beer that had a lot of flavor in it so that they wouldn't get hit on taxes and that customers would come back and keep drinking it. And that's that's what I was told during my research. And it makes sense because a lot of these beers in this 2 3 4% range are very, very flavorful. They're doing some great things with malt and hops and yeast that uh, brewers over here in the U.S. are doing at 12% range. So it's it's it, it's it's that difference. It has to do with tax originally, but we're also seeing a shift these days with a lot of the brewers going and uh, um, brewing higher alcohol beers. They're following the U.S. lead. It's that full circle effect. But we can talk about that. Jeff, what, do you have anything to say about UK beers? Uh, well, I mean, I guess they have um, on the low end. Uh, they call them milds. Those are like the two three percent deals, and then you'll get. Something that's like 4.6%, which we kind of consider very, very sessionable, that is often what the kind of 
special releases are, like the 4.6% one, ones, because generally um, the average ones will be around 3.8. Um, and, and it really is sort of, um, you know, for someone who uh, gets into beer and they're, and they're first entering, the, you know, really into beer and they start drinking a lot of Belgians where things are like, you know, 7% is considered weak, um, you go over to England and you're finding things around 4%. It is kind of a bit of a shock, but then when you realize um, flavor really has nothing to do with how strong it is, and it really is remarkable the things they can do on the flavor front with such low ABV beers. So, uh, Patrick I'll just poured for us the Coniston Old Man. Yeah. Have either of you ever been to the... Is it Coniston Brewery? Is there actually a brewery for Coniston? Do you guys know that? Or? I, I don't know the other. There's Ridgeway been. Brewing... There's a lot of small small labels that we get. I know that uh, the Shelton Brothers just import those. They're doing um, great stuff with bringing a lot of great flavorful British beers into the U.S. these and days. And a couple and, of the breweries yeah. that, that I've had through them, I've had uh, the, the Hook Norton Brewery. Yep. I've had the, the Coniston. Right. I've had the Ridgeway. Yep. Uh, any, I think they're doing uh, Adams, Adams as well. Yeah, yeah. Adams and Bottle. They, I'm going to say it again. The Adams Broadside I had the other night. I, I was just dying for it. it was, it's nice, malty, kind of a, a light brown beer. It's got beer. That, that dark kind of fruit cakeness going to it as well. It's a, it's a, it's a really nice beer. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I was having it on cask when I was over in London just a few weeks ago. No, it's, it's nice. One thing I like about it, it's, it's Horst Dornbusch, who's a, one of the uh, assistant editors for the uh, Oxford Companion to Beer. Yeah. I met with him last fall, and we're talking about what kind of uh, – you know, focus should a small American craft brewery have? And he said, well, he felt that there's so many different craft breweries and you needed a specific focus. And he said, you know, there's not really anyone in the States doing uh, a real English brewery. And uh, it was interesting because people kind of, yeah, th- I think this is where we're going, is we kind of forget about these traditional English styles and having the Adams Broadside there. I'm like, wow. It's like the malt talks to me. The malt is so amazingly subtle and there's a sweetness to it. And, and, uh, we're not making beers like that. Well, I, I, sorry, John. I oh, had um, at the cast festival we just done over the weekend. We had um, a couple of very unique casts, and I, I think they were done to English style. We had a couple of IPAs coming in from Coonan from um, Michigan. So we had a so Alewife Queen. We had a Get Real uh, Presents dot com um, uh, cast festival at Alewife. And you're last you're weekend. really you're really one of the guys in New York who's. Who's doing the best and probably the only really good cast festivals? Well, right Alex now. Hall is also doing. Um, he does smaller cast festivals at DBA, but um, I'm I'm doing like more large format ones with so with more people in. We usually do between um, twenty to a hundred casks per festival. Um, but talking about what a uh, English style um, cast that we're starting to come in. This was the first cast festival I've ever done where we've actually got a wider selection of. Um, low alcohol casks usually they're higher they're about 7% and above but we had a few in from um, Barrier which was local here and then we had some in from Coonan which was uh, they made an IPA at 4.4% which was you know it was, it was a good hop front but the, the malts balanced it out and it was just like a typical English IPA and I noticed a lot more breweries are starting to do this now and you know because you get the big hype of uh, the big strong beers coming in, and then, but a lot of people just want their session beers too, especially during the summer and even still. It's nice to go out for a couple of pints when you don't get too, you know, so overwhelmed. You had, in, the, you had Barrier. What beers. are some of the other casts that you had? Uh, we had Stone Renation. It was uh, double dry hopped with Simcoe. We had uh, Hebrew Hot Mama. We had uh, Smutty Nose Pumpkin in July. <laughs> which is, I think was a little bit too soon, but um, we had a... Uh, from last year. Too soon. No, it was this year. Uh, too soon. <laughs> Way too soon. We had um, Flying Dog Gonzo, which is always one of my favorites on cask. Um, what else we have? We had Greenport, uh, Sour from Greenport Harbor. We had um, a guy of Weiss with jalapenos from Breckenridge. So the, do they make the cask specifically for your event? No. Um, we give them plenty of notice, so they, they look... It's very hard to ship casks during the summertime because of the heat, especially trying to get our hands on English casks because they they just won't ship them. So some of these casks come in late on the shipments to, I think, middle to late June, so we snap them up. Uh, We had about six English casks on, um, but trying to get casks during the summer months is next to impossible. I'd have a a question for you guys, though, as bar owners. Is it more difficult to get casks just because of cellar space because you need proper cellar temperature to serve a lot of these uh, and space around here is certainly at a premium. I'll tell you what I do. You know, four or five years ago I felt pressured to to serve a cask and we had a a system, a gravity system that had a cooler and, you know, we've 
then we would put up one cask a week, and we just felt that um, we were set up to be a draft bar and a bottle bar, and we yeah. sell food. And we only do casks on special occasions. So if I get in a specific, like, you know, a Mars or, or another Shelton Brother, a gravity, you know, German gravity cask, I'll put it on. Um, they're also smaller. I, I, I want to put my cask on and move it that night, and I'll actually put it on the bar and pour gravity. Patrick's different. Patrick, when, before when he was at Rattle and Hum, and with the Get Real events, he really is probably the leader of cask beer in the city. So he's, he's different. So what, what do you do? do? Do you have a big storage facility? Um, at Alewife, um, I do. <laughs> I have quite a big space out there. Um, but what, what I'm doing right now is um, I'm not pouring them from the cooler because I, I think there's too much of a run. And then when you leave it overnight, you have to, you know, your beer sitting there overnight. And I don't like to do that. So what I do is I put the cast system or the cask right underneath the counter. I have my engine right about two feet, two and a half feet away from it. I have a, a drop line, which is a floater. So you actually have to, you just tap it on one side. You don't have to put a spigot in it. Um, and then the floater just floats and goes all the way down with the beer, brings it up. And so I you just do keep like that one cask at a time? To I, yeah, during the summertime, I only put a pin on. I only do yeah. pins. I don't do firkins because I just want to move I admire it. I mean, that's you know? how I think it should be done, too. I, I think the idea is you put the cask on and yeah. hopefully that night... Unless somebody gives me it. something super special, then I will definitely put on a firkin. Like we, uh, there is a few things that um, I'm trying to get my hands on, but I know they won't be available till, till September, October, but... Asking brewers to do to really fill a firkin for you in this weather is, is you know, so it's, it's not good for the beer. So when you did the cast fest, how many, how many different casts did you have? We only had, we had, we wanted to tap about 30 to 40, but um, we ended up only tapping about 25, and we went through every one of them, which was good. We didn't overtop too many. But I, one thing I hate to do is wasting beer, especially cra- our cast beer. So Absolutely. So, so John, going back to, to England and the U.K., um, is there is there a thriving cast scene? You had something to say about it before about camera. Let, let's talk a little bit about that about the the beer scene in yeah. UK related to casks and is that relating to casks and relating to let's call it craft beer, even though you know it's it's decidedly an American term as craft beer, but craft beer has definitely come to London and people are calling it the full circle effect. So whereas. When breweries were getting started, uh, microbreweries, craft breweries were getting started 30, 35 years ago at this point, they were looking to the countries like Germany, like Belgium, and like the UK for inspiration. And then, as we all well know, the breweries here in the US put their own decided spin on the traditional beers and have taken the world by storm at this point. So what's happening is the UK languished in the very much the same way that the US did as far as big breweries buying up big breweries buying up big breweries and you were left with the same let's call it crap, you know, pretty much throughout the countryside. So now they're coming back around uh, into their renaissance. They're in the early part of their renaissance, especially in, London, especially in London proper right now. So what we're seeing is a lot of the breweries that are opening, the craft breweries in London that are opening, are taking their cues from the U.S. There's a, a brewery there called The Colonel. Uh, this is a uh, – Evan is the brewer slash owner there. He um, – Came over to Brooklyn to sell cheese a couple of years ago, fell in love with Brooklyn Brewery, found himself drinking whatever he could, went back home, saw a void, opened up a brewery, and is making tremendous hot bombs. And he's making uh, these really great imperial stouts that'll just uh, knock your socks off. And they're fantastic, but they're not what you think of with uh, UK beers. And we're also seeing a lot of a U.S. influence where you can walk into a lot of uh, great craft beer bars over in the, uh, the UK, and you're seeing stuff from Odell's Brewing. You're seeing stuff from Shorts in Michigan, which we can't even get here, but we can drink over in London if you travel the distance over there, which I found astounding. You can find Stone, you can find Sierra Nevada, you can find Sam Adams, which just uh, signed a contract with Shepherd's Neem Brewery to make Boston Lager over there, which I'll let you deal with the whole Revolutionary War ramifications of all of that, of you know, <laughs> a patriot beer being brewed over. But so we're seeing this full circle effect over there, which I think is, is, is really great. And what we're also seeing is a willingness from the established breweries. Fuller, Smith & Turner's is, is one of these iconic British breweries. And they are now dipping into their archives. They're reviving styles. They're not just letting their existing portfolio speak for itself because they can do a fine business on their own. But they're really experimenting. They're trying really hard to do good things. And they're succeeding quite well. Cool. And Jeff? What we are also kind of seeing is um, there's there's almost uh, a bit of a backlash against 
uh, classic English ales. Not not to a very large extent, but with some of the newer, younger drinkers and some of the newer breweries, they're sort of eschewing cask altogether. It, the interesting dynamic here, uh, craft beer drinkers are really discovering cask ale and, and throwing their arms around it. But over there, if you, you know, a little historical context, 40 years, 41, 42 years ago, when uh, Camera, the campaign for real ale, first got going, uh, their whole mission was to um, basically maintain the British pub culture. And what they were seeing was. Uh, multinational loggers were starting to encroach, and fewer and fewer people were drinking uh, what they call real ale. Um, so they came around and they, and they preserved that, and they've done an amazing job over the past four decades in doing that. But what you're interesting, what you're seeing now, as American beer drinkers are starting to get into cask ales a little bit, you're starting to see some, and not not just in England. I'm talking about the UK as a whole. Uh, you know, particularly places like. Brewdog in Scotland, and, and there's another brewery uh, called West Brewery, which is in, in, also in Scotland and Glasgow. Um, you know, they're not doing any cask ales. Uh, a lot of the thinking among some of the younger drinkers is uh, cask is my father's, my grandfather's drink. Uh, and it's, you know, a new generation, you know, every cask is, is really for the older drinkers. So now you're, you're starting to see more. Uh, based on sort of American craft beers, like like John was saying, but um, just standard draft, not not hand pumps. You know, I'll agree with Jeff for for the most part on that. But a lot of the new breweries that are opening up, especially in London, some are getting rid of casks altogether. Uh, Meantime Brewery, which uh, does a lot of great business over here in the U.S., uh, isn't doing cask ale, and they're even doing lagers, which you know the camera people will uh, scream and yell about. But there's the Sambrook Brewery, which is a small craft brewery, is doing almost exclusively casks over there, and so. I, I think it's twofold, and I think it, it, it's a generational thing as it is over here in the U.S. where um, we'll drink what our fathers drank as long as they were drinking decent stuff. And so um, in the U.K., you are seeing a younger generation that will drink craft or, – or I'm sorry, drink cask beer, but not necessarily the cask beer that their fathers drank, but newer generation cask beer. But then they'll also go for a lager, and then they'll also go for a double IPA out of a bottle uh, afterwards, or they'll drink an American uh, – they're cross-drinkers, I think, is really the new generation is the best way to describe them. Much like, Yeah, exactly. And I think it's just much like how it is here in the U.S. as well of, like, we're not going to stick to one style anymore. We're not going to stick to one brand. We're not going to stick to – I think that's happening over there as well. They just have that extra layer where cask is everywhere. So Awesome. Hey um, – Let's just uh, take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes talking more about London and China on Beer Sessions Radio. China. Hey, welcome back to Beer hey. Sessions. All right. <laughs> Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Okay, we've got an uh, interesting talk. We're talking about uh, World Beer, London, Olympics coming up, and uh, China. Uh, we have, uh, do we have Terry Cowan going on the air from uh, Shanghai? Uh, yeah. Just hi, Terry. Jimmy. How are you? So, Terry, let's say hi. Terry, you were the, uh, brewing at Lake Placid uh, Brewery yep. upstate New York, and now you're the head brewer for Dr. Beer in Shanghai, China. Yeah, uh, that's right. Welcome to the show. John Hall, beer writer, Patrick Donahue, hey, cask, cask beer guy, and Jeff Cialetti uh, from Beverage World. Uh, hey, we're guys. here. Hey. hey. So uh, tell us what you've been doing. H- how long has Dr. Beer been around, and what type of beer do you make? 
Uh, we've been around for nine months, and uh, we make five different styles of beer. Make a, uh, a Pilsner, a wheat beer, a pale ale, an IPA, and a dark beer. Now, I saw some pictures of uh, of Doctor. It's called Doctor Beer. Uh, yeah, yeah. And is that actually what they call it in Shanghai, Doctor Beer, or is there a Chinese name for it? Uh, no, it's it's called Doctor Beer. It's an English name. Wow. Yeah. And it's a, it's a chic microbrewery. It, it, it looks really nice on on the web. Um, yeah, the concept is to make a beer bar for women. Oh. Well, how did you get involved with them? Are, are you, you're American, right? Yep. Yeah, I'm from upstate New York, yeah. And how did you get hired by Dr. Bre- Dr. Beer? Well, obviously, we're uh, very similar. Looking on the internet a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I was teasing you there. Well, What's that? that would, never mind. Well, how, how did you get started in brewing? Let's go back to the basics. Uh, basically, I just uh, really like craft beer, and I graduated from college. I traveled around a bit, and then uh, just wanted to start working in a brewery, and I found a job in New Boston. Cool. Just uh, started cleaning floors and working my way up. All right. And uh, are, where are you now? Are you in China right now? No, no. I'm actually back home just for a uh, two-week vacation. I'm back home. And where's that? Uh, Hamilton, New York. Upstate New York. I see. So you're in New York. Cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. What, tell us about the craft beer movement in Shanghai, China. Uh, it's pretty interesting right now. It's, it's really just starting. The last couple of years, you've seen a couple of brew pubs in Shanghai, Beijing as well. And uh, there's a pretty developed beer scene, but it's mostly light lagers. But uh, the Chinese people, it's a huge market, and they're getting excited about craft beer. So, so we just did uh, our first beer week, Shanghai Beer Week, last May. Had a big turnout. Not too shabby. Are there other uh, microbreweries in Shanghai besides Dr. Beer? Uh, yeah, there's uh, a couple others. There's uh, Shanghai Breweries there and uh, Boxing Cat Brewery. There's another one at a uh, Shangri-La up brew. Well, Jeff Chialetta here, he's uh, the editor from Beverage World, which covers all beverages uh, around the country and definitely even around the world. Uh, what do you know about the any beers coming out of China or the well, craft really, beer movement in China. I, I mean, as far as craft beer, uh, I haven't been getting a lot of information on that. We, we've been covering China a lot as, uh, you know, it's it's sort of the the king of all emerging markets. It's it's almost kind of a misnomer to call it emerging now because it's sort of emerged. Um, it's it's obviously probably the fastest growing beer market in the world. But when I say beer, I'm not necessarily talking about craft beer. I'm talking about you know the large macro beers because you know Sab Miller has a huge presence there. Um, and, and, you know, Anheuser-Busch is starting to get a presence there as well. So, um, But I have seen the craft scene sort of develop in other Asian countries. I was recently in Singapore and Vietnam, and interestingly, they're starting to get something of a burgeoning scene. Singapore is a little further along than Vietnam is. But the interesting thing also about Singapore was I, I I'd met up with a guy who works for a brewery over there who's also American, and, and it just seems like um, there's definite interest in Asia to bring over American brewers. Um, you know, the, the guy I had met actually worked at Uinta before he decided to move to Singapore and start brewing there because uh, everybody's craft beer scene around the world where they're starting to grow in Asia and other parts of the world, they're really starting to take a cue from what's going on in the U.S. Just like John was saying earlier about things coming full circle, now everyone's looking to the U.S. to sort of uh, export their craft beer culture to their countries, and a lot of that is happening in Asia. So, Teddy, in, in Shanghai, let's yep. tell us, so Dr. Beer, is it owned by, by Chinese? Uh, it's owned by a Frenchman and a Chinese partner. Okay. And, yep. like, when you're making your beer, wh- where do you get your ingredients from? Uh, we started with Chinese ingredients, and now we've sourced out. We've got some German, I'm using American hops, some German barley now. Sourcing has been the biggest, because there's not really a developed craft beer scene. So, actually, we're trying to develop a... Uh, a craft brewers association to get some buying power. So is there there's basically there's, one? What that? No, no, that that makes sense. Yeah, there's basically one malt, German malt that we can get, and uh, they basically got a cornerstone in the market. So we're trying to build up our buying power and get more variety. Great. Hey, Teddy, this is John Hall. Uh, I just have a quick question. Did you mention before that you're trying to specifically target to women? Uh, I think we're just trying to. It's kind of a. Uh, the bar's got a neat vibe. You know, we've got a DJ. We're about to put on some live music, so we're uh, 
we're switching up the feel, like, because the other craft beer bars in Shanghai are mostly kind of sports bars. Okay. So we're just kind of making, a, we're a little bit different, I guess. So you're more women-friendly, not necessarily, like, like an all-women craft beer bar. That, that's the way that I heard you say it the first time. Yeah, but. no, 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 yeah, it's just a uh, women-friendly bar, basically. Yeah, making good beer. So it's, it's a different, so what was it like for you? I mean, how long have you been in Shanghai? I've been there since, about nine months since we opened. So when you got there, what, what were some of the, the cultural shocks or, you know, things that you noticed that were different than uh, beer bars in America or making beer in America? Uh, the biggest issue is kind of just getting things going. You know, the suppliers only speak Chinese. So trying to troubleshoot things has been interesting. you got to go through a translator who doesn't really know much about brewing, so you got to figure it out. you just got to be patient, really. <laughs> Right. Patrick, Patrick, would you ever go to China and open a, a brewery or a beer pub? You better believe it. Hey, he would. This guy I would hear the nightlife in uh, China is second to none. So yeah, in a heartbeat, Jimmy. You're a big fan of yeah. technology as well. Oh, I like the technology. Yeah, technology is great. Yeah, I, I'm just going to tweet that. Now. And what what kind of brewing system do you have, Teddy? What kind of uh, right now? I've got a, my Pilsner. The Chinese market. It's interesting because we've got a lot of expats that come into the bar and they're ready for you know big beers. You mean they Chinese expats? In, 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 or Ameri- American expats or Chinese expats? Uh, no, no, uh, American expats. There's a lot of British, Australians. They come in and they're ready for a big beer. But the Chinese market hasn't really tried craft beer too much. It's brand new. So the Pilsner they like a lot, and we're kind of easing them into the bigger beers. It's been interesting. Teddy, what was the, the, the beer brands that really dominated before or still dominate now as, uh, and, and you're trying to get the foothold in with the, with the craft beer now? Qingdao, uh, the, the, the big beer, we're not even really, they're so much bigger and their price point is so different that we're, we're essentially different things, really. So, But, but what, uh, are, what are people but, drinking right now and what are you trying to get them away from to drink your beer? Uh, people are drinking. There's, uh, there's a lot of there's a big Belgian presence in Shanghai right now, which is good, really craft beer. But I mean, mostly the Chinese people know they go and they drink. King Dao is called. There's snow. They drink. It's like a basically just a light light lager. So we're kind of like, we get, we sell a lot of pilsner, but people as we've been open a little longer, people are starting to venture into the dark beer and the IPAs, which is fun. So it's, it's more or less the same thing that, was happening, that's, that is, is happening and has happened in America, trying to get people away from the lighter beers yeah. and over to you a good craft educate beer. The group, but it, again, like I said, the expat crowd's already educated. So they're ready to go with the big beer, so you kind of got to play both, both sides. Well, what, sort, what sort of beers are you using to sort of bridge the, you know, the classic Pilsner drinkers over into more craft oriented styles obviously they may not be ready for the bigger beers as you say some of the expats are but uh, yep. what are some of the things that that you're doing to kind of bridge that transition uh, I, i've got a pale ale on right now you guys were talking about session beers earlier and i think it's like got a nice balance of malt and hops but it's the it end's kind of sweet not too bitter it's kind of you get all the flavors you're looking for but it doesn't blow you over on any side so it's kind of we try and push them that way like a nice drinking beer. These are the flavors you can get out of it, and then if you like this, you can go a little hoppier or a little maltier. So. so let's talk more about Shanghai. It sounds exciting. So the Olympics are coming. Do people in, in China talk about the Olympics at all? Oh yeah, big time. Yeah. Big time are you guys big stacking the deck I, I didn't with even uh, know twelve-year-old <laughs> gymnasts again this year? Is that is that going to happen? What? The? Are, are there going to be twelve-year-old gymnasts stacking the decks, uh, trying to beat the Americans again this year? Yeah, I think it's going to be, yeah, people are pretty fired up about it, so. <laughs> That's a very diplomatic got, answer. Yeah. <laughs> 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 got to be we careful, they might not let them back in. We're going to show it. In, in, in Shanghai, is there a big nightlife scene? Yeah, yeah, nightlife is, yeah. So what what are some, like, the bars and restaurants that you go to now that you're living um, there? I go to the, the, I'm good friends with the other brewers, go to their breweries a lot. And uh, there's a really nice, neat uh, Japanese whiskey bar culture. Well, give us some you know, names. Austin, what are yeah, some of the names of, of places? I've never right. seen so many whiskeys before. It's, it's neat. But what are some of the names of the places you go in Shanghai? Uh, there's a place called El Cocktail that's got some really good uh, beer bars. There's a really good Belgian beer bar called uh, Kaiba. He's got three locations. Rudy, he's an American who started it. How are you Chinese? Can you speak Chinese yet? Uh, he does. He does. No, you? Do I speak Chinese? I, I don't. 
Yeah. I, I kick a little bit. Well, so it's kind of been like a dream come true, right? It's it, kind of fun. If I was going yeah. over to Shanghai and wanted to order a beer, how would I order a beer speaking in the native tongue? Put in mouth. Say that again. And then how do you say if I want a pale ale or a lager? Uh, I think that just say you hold up the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> that that might be it. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> it's a difficult language. <laughs> well, Teddy, you know I'm I'm really proud of you. It sounds really great. And the New York Brewer is uh, making it in uh, Shanghai, and this is kind of like a, I guess this is our Olympic show. We get John had been to London. We're talking about London, and now you're talking about China. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Look, Teddy, stay on the line, okay? We're, we're going to um, take a short break. We'll come back and talk more about actually going back to UK beers. Back in a few minutes okay. on Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. In the point of view by Flagland. On Beer Sessions Radio, we gather every week to celebrate our favorite beverage and the people who make it. It's a clubhouse for brewers, and we love tasting and talking beer, ale, lambics. If it's yeasty, bubbly, or hoppy, we want to try it and tell you about it. If you want to be a member of our club, too, support the station and hit the donate button on our webpage at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio. Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43. We're really proud of the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, now it's heritageradionetwork.org, and you can donate. It's a nonprofit, and that makes us all feel great because uh, we really believe in what's going on here. There's the cheese show, farm shows, so many, and more shows all the time. So, Amen. hey, we've got Teddy Gowan, American brewer in, in Shanghai, John Hall, author, Patrick Donaher, Cask Ale Diva. And Jeff Chiletti from Beverage World, and we're, gonna, we're actually going to talk. We're not going to talk anymore about it's, the you know the Olympics the show. Is hey. Thank you. Yeah. We're not going to talk about uh, Shanghai beer anymore, Teddy. But listen in. We're going to talk through the the three uh, English beers we drank, and then we're going to talk about Camera, the uh, cask organization in England. We're going to so talk we have, static. What do we have? I like the Harveston uh, bitter and twisted. I always have. It's a Scottish beer, but that's still UK. We had Timothy Taylor. The landlord beer, which I've been told in England is as familiar as the Fuller's. Yes. Someone emailed me uh, the other day and they said, hey, I'm, my name is actually Timothy Taylor. I've heard you have a beer called Timothy Taylor. And I said, I don't know, but I know I have the landlord. So you this is the Timothy Taylor list. landlord. Come on now. <laughs> and uh, we have the Coniston Old Man. So what, what do you guys think of these beers? They're I'm a big fan of the Coniston. I, I always like Coniston. Coniston Bluebird is one of my favorite pairs. Um, this Coniston Old Ale. It's got a nice little kick to it, good malt back to mm. it. Um, I think it's a fantastic beer. From I'm, Jeff, again, I'm not. I don't know. Constant. Did they have a brewery? Did they? You know, I don't. I don't. I don't know anything about that brewery, to be honest with you. And Constant and Ridgeway are always. I'm going to put it all on Jeff. Of yeah. Tell us the history. Tell oh, us, guys. Yeah, you're going to hear static. <laughs> Dead air. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just hear about it. We all know this. So there's Coniston, there's Ridgeway. They're imported by yep, Sheldon Brothers. Yeah. You can get them at Jimmy's Number 43. You can get them in New York. But, Jeff, what do you think? Which of these beers do you like? I'm, I'm partial to the, the Timothy Taylor Landlord, uh, primarily because this is actually the first time I've had it in the States. I've only had it on cask over there and i'm curious to see how it travels and you know in a bottle and it, it definitely tastes different but that's not a bad thing i think it travels well it travels pretty well but it definitely you will agree that it tastes different than what you're getting Hands down it tastes different but I've i think that we're before. gonna find that with, with any yeah. beers that well, travel okay so we're in uk but typically how many pubs would you have timothy taylor landlord in is it a handful is it all over the country? I would say probably every third or fourth pub you go into yeah, would have Yeah, I, I would agree with that as well. Yeah, it's with the Tide Houses over there. Yeah, you can you can find this on a, on so a fairly big. regular. It, yes. it, it's sort of like the the 
reliable old standby. It's like if you go to a traditional pub and you're looking for cask ale, and it's not say owned by Fuller's, um, chances are you know Timothy Taylor Landlord will be on cask, and it is sort of the reliable fallback beer. Um, I mean, personally, my own personal favorite um, English beer to have on tap is uh, Fuller's London Porter. And oh, God, like great, Fuller's great London beer. Porter God, on cask it. is like a religious experience for me. I'm going to read it to Timothy Taylor started brewing at Kiley, England in 1858, and his business continues as a family company at the original brewery, maintaining the tradition of excellence. Landlord is the classic pale ale brewed in the traditional way from the famous Knoll Spring Water, using only the finest malt and leaf hops. And that's it. But that's Timothy Taylor. I like and the Timothy Taylor. Taylor. I, think, I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's, it's really quite nice. Not to be confused with Toolman Tim Taylor from Home Improvement. <laughs> Boy, there's an obscure. <laughs> we go. But do, do you guys hate camera? Let this go into it. You guys said okay. camera. You, you, you feel like not, it, not, I don't. I don't. We hate don't them. hate them. Well, I think they've done great things. But there's a lot of controversy here. They're not. They're not adapting to uh, modern times. Like you know, um, they um, they don't appreciate the new technology that's coming in. That's the best preserves cascale because you know when. Um, and um, with when you t- when you tap a cask, you've got you know if you're gravity pouring it, you have got three days. Yeah, there's new systems out now that can uh, ex- extend that lifetime to maybe you know ten, well seven days tops, five five between five and seven days is always good. Then there's newer systems out that I just got in actually uh, from UK Brewing from I got it from Alex Hall. Is the um, is the floater? You tap it in just like you're tapping the cast tap into the into the firkin, and it just it's all one piece. It sits in. The line drops down and floats on top of the beer and just sucks it up as it goes all the way down the cask. Once you keep that cask cool and a good temperature, it can do, and there's no air getting into it whatsoever, it will do. You know, I've I've had a cask on for five days, and it was just as good as I tapped it the first day on the fifth day. And, again, I don't think camera appreciate things like that. They, they don't They don't they want to don't. tap the, the nitrogen on top of it, which creates a blanket to keep the oxygen out. So it doesn't oxidize the beer. They don't appreciate it us. The, the great thing about camera was... As Jeff pointed out, about 40 years ago, they really saved a, a, a beer delivery method and they saved a great, let's call it a style, of beer from relative obscurity. But I think that they've been so unwilling to change their standpoints. There are new people coming in. Uh, they're getting a lot of younger people joining their ranks. They're getting a lot of women joining their ranks, which I think is great. It's not the old men wearing socks and sandals that have a beard to them. But at the same time, I think that they really need to adapt, and I think that that will actually come with some of the new membership as they start to push back against the old guards saying, hey, there's more than just this one way of looking at things. We won the war. You know, let's have a time of prosperousness. And that's, yeah, I it's think, like what the open, the open attitude that craft beer has in America is it's for everybody. There's a beer out right there for everyone. Camera look at it. It's for us. If you don't like it, you don't drink it. They don't encourage more people. Now, I honestly think, going back to what we were talking about earlier, when it, when we were, we were saying that um, Cascale is for older people, and like your father and what he drank and all that, I honestly think, and I've seen this through uh, bars that I've run, and, and especially now at Alewife, I tap a cask at Alewife, and I just had a cask festival there this weekend. The age group is between 21 and, say, 35 to maybe 40, and... They were all drinking Cascale and digging it, and they loved it. They had tons of questions. We had people on hand to answer everything they they talked about. They, we had popular breweries there, so they knew what they were drinking. They just, you know, when I, I heard people talking about a uh, about um, a couple of casts that they had on draft, and they were just like, "Wow, this is amazing! This is actually tastes much different than what it is on draft." I'm like, you know, that's where I get very happy, and I. I appreciate the fact that I'm involved with Cascale and I try to promote Cascale is because people start understanding that Cascale is you know it's more of a delicious drink and it's got more it's more purity to it than draft ale it's like the natural carbonized the way it's naturally carbonated is so important to the beer over over draft beer that people actually see this now and start appreciating this and so they're willing to pay that extra buck to have a really good beer do you think now American breweries when they do the Cask Fest I remember a few years ago it just seemed that uh, for a cast festival, some of the American breweries would just pour whatever they had. They had an Imperial IPA. They would pour it into a cask and send yeah. it to a fest. See, no, see, uh, when I was actually picking the beers for this festival, I had a selection of beers to pick from, and I didn't pick all the beers that I was sent because I don't believe a lot of the styles should be put into a cask. Um, there was, you know, from from 
over carbonated saisons to to wheat beers and I was like I just kind of I, I don't want to tap that thing because it's going to bloody explode on me and you know there's just ales ales and, and some lagers can, can get into a cask but not everything it's important to and you're right some breweries are just casking anything just to sell it to get it out the door people will well, go that, like well that's I had the change that. that I like that, that from the last because I remember five years ago it was they offered anything in a cask and yeah, it, it didn't belong in a cask no there's one I, I gotta give a shout out to these guys uh, Barrier um, they're doing uh, it's Craig and uh, Evan uh, Evan Klein and Craig from um, Barrier Brewing Company out in Oceanside they're doing cask so well and they really appreciate what they do about it and they don't just cask anything they did they did cask a, or cask a um, hoppy a hoppy wheat but it was phenomenal in cask and these guys are doing a great job hmm. they, um, they're they really digging in digging the cask selection and also Wandering Star who um, their cask actually didn't show up this time because a few of them exploded on the way down from their brewery but you know Chris Post and Chris Kuzma and Alex Hall are their cask guys and they're really promoting guys yeah and um Jeff uh, do you have any data on uh, cask, you know, for America, cask oh. quantities, volume? <laughs> no, it's no, not, it's has still, it come up yet on your it's studies? Still, I mean, well, just to put it in perspective, you look at what, what craft beer is in the U.S. Volume-wise, you're talking just shy of 6%, dollar-wise, 8 9%. So cask is a small... And that's small, just of beer. That's just, yeah, of the overall of beer market, craft beer in general. And then, you know... Cask is a very minuscule percentage of that, so you're talking well below one percent of it's to the point where it's not really even measured at this point. So I, I think as it as it catches on, we'll start seeing more data on it. But it, it's really, really so small. But on, on the other hand, if you look at the UK, um, I think statistically you're talking ten percent of the overall market, which is. It's actually surprising to a lot of people because they think that you know you you go on a bar crawl in the UK and the and the streets are are running like with cask ale running through the streets and everything, but it's not. It's really only ten percent of the market. The other ninety percent is really the the same sort of macro lagers that craft brewers here are you know rebelling against. But I, I think so one you're of telling the- me that the way that I live my life and Patrick <laughs> lives his life that we're only a niche market. That in reality, even though we, I feel like craft beer is such an important thing, and it's true, I actually go to a lot of places and I can't get a decent beer on draft. You're right. Yeah. Uh, to this day, whether it's in New York City, other than the Good Brazil bars and, and a handful of restaurants and some bottle shops, most places you go, they get eight, twenty lines. It's just macro stuff, fake yeah. craft beer, and it's also like you. And I can't drink it, and I get really angry. But you, you go in the, into you know? these places also. And I was the word the heart. I thought <laughs> we're craft beer, everyone gets it, and you know what? That's why we have to keep working because we're we're a niche market. We might be growing, but we're yeah. still a niche market. It's a total, we're like total Shanghai, niche. Basically. Don't tell me that. <laughs> well, move if you want, if you don't want to really be so much of a niche. I don't want to be a niche move market. Move to move to Oregon, where it's it's craft, like, craft like beer is about forty percent of the market yeah. in the state of Oregon now. So. I like being a niche market. We feel special, Jimmy. Come on. <laughs> but it's it's funny. But like, as you say that, and I I notice a lot of bars. Like you know, you see bars in Third Avenue, Ninth Avenue, Eighth Avenue, and, and they're like you know the big bars that have been around for a long time, and they're like printing money downstairs they're starting to switch over to uh, they're starting to switch over to uh, craft beer but you go in there and I'll give you a, like a, an exact example of a, of a consistent style of beer that should never change and you should always know and I always taste this beer whenever I see it just to know if they clean their lines I always go and have a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale yep. if that beer does not taste the way it should taste then I walk away from the place or else I'll just drink something by the bottle but it's, it's, also, it's important to pour craft beer for the movement to have it in all these bars they're not looking after the lines, you know. Then it gives a bad reflection on on the craft beer, on on the brewery, on the bar itself, and especially the brewery and for craft beer and whole and as a whole. Because if you're having something, you're having like a an IPA, and, but they just chip, put a keg on that was a wheat beer or a fruit beer before that, then you have a whole whole different taste of this beer. And that person's going to go to another yeah, but bar. The beer and mixes realize, in the lines. Yeah, until you, you just pour got, it you got to clean yeah. your line after every keg. It's so important, and it's something that I religiously do. And I do it with cask, I do it with draft, and my beers will always taste the way that the breweries expect them to. And it's important to let people know out there that they should be doing the same thing too. Because, you know, even if you change an IPA for an IPA, you should, should still clean the line because the brewery wants you to pour the quintessential style that they just come up with. There's actually a pretty dangerous trend that I've been noticing about some bars where it's 
more about quantity than quality, and they just want to promote themselves. Oh, we've got you know, thirty taps or fifty taps. I mean, most of them are a lot of the same kind of beer, mm-hmm. and they don't pay so much attention to cleaning their draft lines because they're not really so much going after that discerning consumer. And I've been seeing more and more of that. I've seen that in places like Hoboken where you've got a real sort of frat boy kind of population. Sorry to anybody in Hoboken. But but you do get a certain element there um, where it's like, oh, we've got all these taps. This is our big claim to fame. And then you kind of go there and then it's like... I'm going to say something controversial. I feel like if you walk into a bar and you don't know it's a good Brazil bar, there's a reputation for craft beer... And you see Bud Light on draft. I'm not saying that there are bars that have Bud Light that also move craft beer. But if you see Bud Light on, on draft and it's not a, a, a craft-specific bar, most likely they're mostly pouring Bud Light. And those other lines haven't been cleaned. Those a other lines don't time. move. Okay. But also the people that have, craft, or that have craft beer on tap but also have Stella Hogarden, uh, Bud, Bud Light on tap, the owners of that bar are usually not craft beer people. They usually don't care about the beer. They just care about profit because Budweiser and all these guys do offer a lot of money for bars to keep their lines on. And, like, I know I've been at Jimmy's 43. You've been a wife, and it's like, you know, we care about our beers. We care about cleaning our lines. We, you know, there's not many people out there. And, you're, you know, like, for the, for the good beer seal bars... That's a very limited amount of people out of 2,500 bars. And what, there's only 28 it's bars four. in that? Now there's 40 in out the city. 40? Well, yeah. next year will be 41 with Alewife. Or 42? Next year. Well, apparently it's to be a year open. So. Yeah, that's right. Well, we're happy that you're, you're, you're back in it. You were rattling home for a long time, and now you're Alewife. Yeah, I left rattling home in December, and now I'm, um, I'm working with Daniel Lanigan, um, who owns Lord Hobo in Baltimore, or Alewife Baltimore. So we joined forces in... Uh, about a month or two ago but we've been working together for a while and we just said alright that's it I, I just I was bored of doing nothing because I'm planning my other bar I'm trying to open right. I'm doing demolition of right now but we'll get to that another time another time another time and John yes, sir. your books Massachusetts Beer Book Massachusetts Breweries, Breweries just out from Stackpole Books it's uh, the definitive guide or the current definitive guide to all of the breweries in Massachusetts and uh Really proud of it, and it's available. It's a nice looking book. Now. John Hall and April Darcy. My wife, April wife. Darcy, the travel writer, uh, is still married to me after writing a book with me, which is amazing. Well, it's a nice cover. It's got labels from many of it's the really cool it. breweries in Massachusetts. The People's Pint. The People's uh, Pint. What a great Havel place. Brewery in my hometown, Haverhill, Massachusetts. They're doing some you awesome got stuff as Wampatuck well. Wampatuck Wheat. You're from Massachusetts? Yep. Ips- Ipswich that. IPA. Yep. Cape Cod Beer Lunt, uh, Blonde. Beach. Seven Hills, Hollowdale, uh, Stone Cat. Never even heard of some of these. Yeah, that's Stone Cat's I've part of, of. Uh, of the Ipswich brand. They're doing that's their one of their spinoff brands, and uh, you can read all about it inside. It's on Amazon. It's at your local so bookstore. Massachusetts it's, Brewery uh, by John Hall and April Darcy. And that's then right. And then soon, the London uh, beer London. book, uh, and then the cookbook next year. So it's um, well, it's Olympic it's season. Good. That's why it we had, is. It's I, what's season. great is we didn't even know we, we should have beer Olympics because I don't even know when the Olympics start. There's been so many ads. <laughs> I'd rather talk to you guys about London beer. I'll, I'll give another throw out. I would say um, of these beers, I love Adnams. If you can get a bottle of Adnams. I know I said in the 90s, Adnams was, was a cask uh, beer in the States. I don't know if they're shipping Adnams regularly, but, but some bottles have come over. And at Jimmy's number 43, we do have Adnams Broadside. It's a nice kind of malty porter. Oh, yeah. you got to go drink you it. you got to get that it's beer. It's a great beer. And I'm more, I'm more a fan of, of nice traditional beers than malty. And this slightly sour beer. What beer is this? Uh, we're drinking Cadre. Captain Lawrence Hops and Roses. We just, I actually just got in today at Alewife. And I, I grabbed the bottle to bring for the radio to show. It's a, a malt beer, or beer aged in uh, oak barrels with rose hips, uh, elderflowers, and hibiscus. And it's slightly sour. It's, it's nice. It's, it's right. nice it's, after it's spending young. time overseas yeah. to come back to a U.S. original yeah. like Captain Lawrence. New York uh, represents. Scott's doing great <laughs> things. Uh, thank you, Scott. And Jeff, anything besides uh, the mayor banning 20-ounce sodas? <laughs> anything you want to tell us about the it's world of beverages? Up. Um, what would you like to know? What beverages in particular? Well, most beverages are scary, but uh, coconut water. Crap. You want to know about energy drinks? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, energy drinks are they had a double digit boost last year. People are still drinking it. It's, yeah. it's, so, beverages are big business, and they are yeah. so helpful the morning after a night of drinking beer. Well, that's another thing. Another yeah. growing segment like five hour is energy. hangover five hour I love that. Yeah. They call they call them hangover remedies. They're like some come in shot size, others are in bigger 
bottles, but they're they're supposed to help relieve hangovers. So we, we can IV read what you're doing. Beverage World. It's BeverageWorld.com. Yeah, but it's most. It's really a print magazine too. Well, it's a print magazine. Yeah, and that's our that's our core. But we've got a website, BeverageWorld.com. You know, uh, we do two conferences a year as well, and you know, we're all over Twitter, Facebook, and everything else. You have to be on these days, so it's kind of. All right. We'll give a little shout out. Uh, Good Brazil Bar Events. Thursday is Victory Tap Takeover at Beercraft in Brooklyn. And this Saturday is the Great Hot Dog Cookoff. Uh, thank you to Kelso Beers. It's their, uh, I think, seventh year. Wow. Um, that's another Good Beer Seal uh, July Good Beer Month event. July 25th is Christmas in July at the Burp Castle. Uh, Burp Castle, one of the, the older New York City beer bars, still still going strong. They'll have Corson Donk Christmas Sale, Nice Shoof, and Ridgeway. Warm welcome from England. I like Ridgeway. And uh, also coming up next Wednesday, July 25th at the South Street Seaport Museum. It's the first New York City beer book, blog, and video fest. Jeff Cialetti's video is going to be there. Uh, Beerituality. A lot, a lot of the regular guests from uh, Beer Sessions Radio will be there, and uh, including Beer Sessions Radio. So check it out. GoodBeerSeal.com. Yeah, I'll be there. John Hall. <laughs> I'm signing. Win Bassett's coming up from North Carolina. All, all the about way. beer. A lot of cool guys. Jimmy, can I mention uh, Rock Hops? That's happening at August 11th down at Mercer County Park in uh, West Windsor Township, New that Jersey. That sounds great. Go for that, too. But check out GoodBrewSeal.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors at GreatBrewers.com. I've helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to John, Patrick, and uh, Jeff, and our friend Teddy Gowan from Shanghai. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee and Brie O'Connor, and guest coordinator, Brett Thompson. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Drink better beer. <laughs> Some of my songs I have casually mentioned the fact that I like Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our programs archived on our website or by searching iTunes for Heritage Radio Network. You can find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website. Thanks for listening.